Well, good morning, church. By now, hopefully you've gotten three good mornings, or maybe hopefully four. You know, Pastor Dave, Pastor Paul, myself, somebody at the door, maybe somebody near where you're sitting. I don't know, let's go five. Hey, make it six. On the way out, tell somebody good morning, okay? Yeah, it'll still be before noon. We're good. I'm not going to go that long, okay? Hey, um, go ahead and grab your Bibles, grab your devices, whatever it may be that you find your scripture on. I'll throw it sometimes, put up on the screen. Other times, you're going to look it up for yourself. As you're grabbing that, I'm not going to tell you where to go yet, but I'm going to just want you to think about the choices that you make in your life. We all have choices. We all make choices on a daily basis, whether it's the food you eat, the clothes you wear, whether it's when you, you know, sometimes you don't have a choice to go to work, but you have the choice how you're going to react at work, the kind of things you're going to do with people, and it's, it's your choice, right? The choices that we make are typically based off of our knowledge, of what we know about the situation. Sometimes we have people that come along and they give us advice. They give us encouragement. Or maybe they steer us a different direction and they sort of get sort of nasty with us, right? In the end, though, we, after all the assessing of things, we make the choice. And it goes the same way with our spiritual lives, with God. Maybe you grew up with a Sunday school teacher telling you something, a pastor telling you something, a grandmother, a grandfather telling you something, a parent telling you something, the Bible tells you something. It's like, well, what is God trying to tell me? I've got all these voices, and I want to make the right choice for God, and it sort of all comes at you, doesn't it? But you get to choose in the end whether you're going to listen to God or not, whether you're going to obey God or not. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, I want to read some scripture. We're going to be in Judges, but in Deuteronomy 30, there's an incredible scripture. God is, right before he gets into, they get into the promised land, he instructs his people, and, and I want you to hear these words. He says this, starting in verse 15 of chapter 30 of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, listen. Today, I am giving you a choice. I love this. God, God's the God of the universe. He goes, I'm giving you the choice. Life or death, which one do you want? Seems pretty simple, right? Between prosperity and disaster. For I commanded you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. Now watch this next part. If you do this, you'll live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But, there's always a but, right? But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you, you will certainly be destroyed. I want you to hear this, because when we get into the book of Judges, we said it's pretty messy. Why would God destroy it? And it's like, he gave people the choice. It's going to come back to this scripture right here. He goes on to say, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. God's cheering for us. He's like, choose life, choose life. Come on, you can do it. Choose life. Obey him. Commit yourself firmly to him. Verse 20. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This this, this, this is the key to your life right here. Here it is. If you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God's like, listen, I'm giving you the choice. Which one do you want? Death or life? 
Your choice. It seems pretty simple, doesn't it? I mean, if, if God was like visibly here looking at you and he's like, which one do you want? Death or life? We're like, life, please. I, I like life. It's good. I like breathing. I enjoy it. I really do, right? It seems so simple. And we're told the key, though, the key to this life is what? Simply obeying God, committing to him, listening to him. Matter of fact, this generation that when God brought this out, the generation of people that were listening, they're like, we're all in. We are choosing obedience. We are choosing life. We are choosing to commit. We are following you. And that generation did. The problem is that generation died. And the next generation that came up did not choose God. They did not choose life. What they chose, if you want to sum it up, can be found in the book of Judges. At the very end of the book, you'll read it at the beginning, but at the begin, at the end, it says in Judges 21, 25, it says, In those days Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Hey, do whatever you want. Do what feels good for you. Hey, you deserve a break today. Have it your way. Anybody getting hungry for Burger King or McDonald's right now? Because <laughs> that's their slogans, right? I mean, we hear those phrases all the time. Whatever choice you want, it's up to you. You choose. That's the kind of world we're living in, right? Do whatever you want. I just, I just read, came across this story last weekend, and it's about uh, this, it's, this is sort of gross, okay? It's, it's a parent who wants to marry their child, okay? It's like, what? Yep, and they are suing the state of New York because New York won't let them do that, which I'm sitting there going, well, that's one thing New York got right, I guess. So no offense if you're from New York, but it really is. 90% of it's woods and mountains. It's beautiful. But anyway, I'm sitting there going, this is scary because we are warned that when you get rid of the biblical union between man and woman, things deteriorate. And yet today we're like, anything goes. Marry who you want, what you want. And it's like, no, that's wrong. Biblical marriage is, is, here's the thing. As soon as you take biblical marriage and you throw it out the door, you open it up and toss it out, you leave that door wide open for a mess. You really do. Because like any place, if your house is open and the door is open up, in comes a mouse. What's behind the mouse? Probably a cat. Well, what's behind the cat? Probably, I don't know, a raccoon and then a skunk and then a bear. Next, you know, your house is a disaster. That's what happens when you toss out biblical mandates, your life becomes an incredible disaster. Last week, we described these times as ungodly, evil, and selfish. We said they were very messy and confusing, the book of Judges, when you look at all this, right? And I've learned a great deal about messes over the years, and that is this. The bigger the mess, the greater the solution is needed to fix it, right? And the deeper the stain on your clothes, the greater the cleaning chemical that you need, the agent or whatever, to get rid of it, Right? Well, in the book of Judges, we keep going along. It seems like this mess is getting bigger and bigger. And finally, God's like, well, it looks like I need a bigger solution. So he calls upon another judge. What is he going to do? Who's he going to pick? Well, remember, the judges he chose were men and women who were ordinary people, as we looked at last week, with various talents and skills, but they were just ordinary people. A lot of them you knew and some of you didn't know. Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament says, hey, I want to tell you, about all these men and women of faith, right? And when you skim down and you get to verse, I'll put up on the screen, verses 32 to 34 of chapter 11, it says this, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, 
Brian preached on him. Barak, Samson, and Yephthah, which we talked about last week. David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped the death of the edge of the sword. Look at this next part of the verse. Their weakness was turned to strength. That's what God does with ordinary people like us. He takes our weaknesses and he uses it for his glory and his strength. They became strong in battle and they put whole armies to fight. Again, ordinary, weak people, God chooses them. He chooses the godly. He chooses the ungodly to fulfill his plans. He chooses those who are of of greater age, older, and those who are not even born yet for his purposes. That's what God does. He's looking for somebody, somebody to stand up for him. And here in this book, God calls these ordinary people and he calls them judges. Now, when we say judges, the first thing that probably comes to your mind is somebody in a robe who's uh, tossing out laws and, and settling disputes, right? That's not the kind of judges we're talking about. We're talking about more like military figures, generals. We're talking about warriors who, who led, not politicians. These judges were not voted in by popularity or, or just voted in or somehow rearranged, prearranged or brought it. They were chosen by God. They didn't have term limits. We can only serve for four years, eight years. No, it's God chose and God picked how long they would serve. That's what these judges are. Fourteen of them are listed in the book of Judges. We had the unknowns and the well-knowns. Gideon and Deborah, many of you have heard of them. But Ehud and Yephthah, unknown. Never heard of them, right? We just sort of hope we said their name correct, right? Then we come to the next judge, which we're going to hit on today, and then we'll move on out of this book for next week. But the next judge is, well, he's a big judge, right? Well, Samson. Right? Think of Samson. You know, I don't know what comes to your mind when I say Samson, but everybody's got this picture of this hawk-like superhero, hair-flowing, model-like man, right? He's like, yeah, that's Samson. He was, he's that way. But here's the thing. As I read through Scripture, I can't find anywhere on his appearance. I really can't. It doesn't say he was six foot two, two twenty-five, sculpted like a rock. I don't read that anywhere. As far as we know, he could have been five foot nothing, a hundred nothing, with hardly a speck of athleticism in him, like a Rudy, right? A Peter Parker. I don't know. He's he, we don't know what he looks like, but we assume because he was a womanizer and he was always busting things up, he had to be like this, right? But we don't know. But what we do know is that he was set apart. To do something big for God. Open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 13. Israelites were doing evil in the Lord's sight. So God basically, remember, I'm giving you a choice between life and death. If you choose death, I'm going to hand you over, right? And that's what God did. He stayed true to his word. And so the Philistines oppressed them for 40 years. I want you to think about this because we have no clue. We really don't. If I have a bad day, it's like, I had a bad day, right? Then it's like, I had four bad days. How about 40 bad days? How about 40 years of oppression? See, we just can't relate to this, can we? These people are struggling. Well, what's going to happen is Manoah and his wife are unable to become pregnant. They have no children, which again, in, in biblical times, This was a horrible thing for women. 
It was a shame, and they were upset, right? So God has a plan to rescue his people, and it's going to be through a couple that can't have babies. That's what's going to happen. Look at verse 3. Angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said this, Even though you are unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any alcoholic drink nor eat any forbidden food. You'll become pregnant, give birth to a son. His hair must never be cut, for he'll be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue people from the Philistines. These parents are dedicating their children to God. God says, I'm setting your child apart. Dedicated to me. And here's the vow. It's a Nazarite vow. And I think about this. When we have children uh, dedicated in our church, you know, we don't stand before them like, you've got to fill all these vows. Basically what's happened is the parents are saying, God, thank you for the child that you've given me. I want to raise this child in a godly way, separate from the rest of this world. That's what our children dedications are all about. Our aim, our goal is that that child grows up living different from the rest of this world. Listen, if you don't help your children go in the right direction, parents, listen, the devil will do it for you. Trust me on this one. If you think that the world is going in the right direction, you've been fooled. The world's going in the wrong direction. Doing nothing to help your kids move in the right direction allows them what? To just continue an autopilot to go in the wrong direction. Doing nothing to help is not our role. Especially the church. If you leave the, cho- the choice, and I, I've heard this often, oh, I'm going to let my kids choose whether or not they want to go to church. Let me tell you right now. If you allow your kids the choice to come to church or not, here's what they're going to choose. No church. Why is that? Because that's the way of the world. My, you know, I always sat there and thought, my parents, you know, they made me go to church, right? Somebody's, and I've heard comedians say about they had drug problems. You know, like, I had, a, I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church every Sunday, right? You've heard those comedians say that kind of thing. But a lot of us get that. But you know, I'm so thankful my parents did. You know why? Because left to myself, I wouldn't have gone. Who would have, right? I mean, if you, let me ask you this. He's like, I'm going to let my kids make their own choice about going to church. Do you let your kids make their own choice about drugs when they're five, six, seven, eight? Do you, do you let them make their own choices about handling a gun or attending strip clubs? Well, I know you're only 10, but I'm going to let you choose if you want to go to a strip club. Really? I mean, a, a, a parent who has it all together is like, no, this is why you... I'm going to help my kid make the right choice. If church and my spiritual life is so important, we talk about, oh, God's number one in my life, then are you making it number one in your kid's life? And kids, let me, let me help you with this. Left to yourself, this is why we as parents try to help you. Because as you're three or four and you go into the kitchen and you want to fix yourself a meal, it's going to be Oreos and ice cream, right? It's probably that's what it's going to be. But your parents know better. They know that you need the right physical food to make you strong. You're going to need veggies. You're going to need fruit. You're going to need some kind of meat or something, right? So they're going to help you with those choices. Because left to yourself, you will not choose what you need to be Healthy, spiritually healthy. A lot of us are not spiritually healthy because we're making the wrong choices. I sort of went off script here. I have no idea where I'm at. But anyway, as I'm looking at this, the Nazarite vow was very much this. No alcohol, don't touch dead things, and don't cut your hair. 
Now, it wasn't so much about those things and the, the outward symbolism. It was about what was going on in here. And this was going to be expressed, what's going on in my heart, by what I do out here. This was part of the Nazarite vow. These things, again, were looked up. You can look it up in number six. Samson grew up under, under that Nazarite vow. But what we learn is that Samson had all the right ingredients, but he decided to spice up his life. See, some of us, if you like to bake or cook, you might have an ingredient, your favorite one, and you're just like, you know what, I'm going to add a little bit of this. I know Grandma didn't put it in hers, but I'm going to put it in mine. I'm going to spice this up, right? That's sort of what Samson did. God gave him all the correct ingredients. He thought, I'm going to spice it up. Samson struggled. He was addicted to the wrong things, the wrong kind of love. He was always dealing with lust and betting and fighting. He just couldn't get focused. And I understand that as a man, sometimes men, we have a hard time focusing. We can tell you everything about a boat, a gun, work. But when it comes to raising our kids or being a good husband, we're like, I don't know, whatever happens. It's like, why is that? Because we lose focus on what really matters. But I can tell you about how to handle my gun or, or drive that car. I can tell you how an engine is put together. But I can't tell you how to help my kids make a good choice. That's just the way we are sometimes. We lose focus. Samson lost a lot of focus. He had this strength, but he had a weak will. And oftentimes that's the way it is with us adults. Maybe we're really strong with some things, but we have just these weak wills and we just don't make good disciplined decisions at times. Look at chapter 14. Chapter 14, Samson is, is growing up. We learn that he travels four miles into enemy territory. First of all, right now, we should know, right? If he's going into enemy territory, that's not good. Okay, that's an issue. He's hanging out in the wrong town. He's looking at the wrong person. A Philistine woman catches his eye. All the women always caught his eye, the way the story goes, it seems. He goes home and he tells his parents, and I really don't know, as I read this, what kind of guy is he? Okay, because he's like, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. That's what's written, okay? I'm saying, is this dude like an entitled brat or a caveman? I mean, he, he knew better. This would not honor God. His dad tried to talk him out of it. His mom tried to talk him out of it. But he goes on to say, get her for me. She looks good to me. I mean, okay, I don't know if that's proper English or anything, but it just didn't seem right. Verse 4, it says his father and mother didn't realize, though. Listen to this that the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at the time. So it's like, God's like, okay, Samson, you're letting your eyes rule your heart right now, and I'm going to let that happen because there's going to be an opportunity that's going to come down the road. Verse 5 and following, we read that Samson and his parents are going down to Timnah. And as they do, this young lion attacks Samson, I'm assuming, it says his parents didn't know about it. So his parents must have been ahead of him. He was lagging behind. The lion attacks him. We all got this picture where the lion attacks, right? Part of the cat family. I'm not going to go there in the evilness of all this. But anyway, at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord powerfully came upon him. And he ripped the jaws of the lion apart. And I'm sitting there going, that's crazy, isn't it? Because it goes on to say his mom and dad didn't know anything about this. He shows up at Timnah. Hey, mom, dad, how are you? Did you get the arrangements made with my future wife? Yep, we're all set, son. You said, go get her. And so we got her, and everything's good. He's like, thanks, mom. And, and then he's like, but they're like, they didn't say, hey, what are those scratches on you? 
hey, you're bleeding. Hey, you got blood on you. They didn't see any of that, right? Otherwise, we would have said, uh, tripped and fell on the briar patch or something. They, there's no clue, no evidence of him wrestling with a lion. This guy is strong, right? A little time passes by. They return to Timnah for the wedding to come across the carcass of the lion. He finds a swarm of bees inside the carcass of the lion and a bunch of honey. He says that he reached into, oh, by the way, don't touch dead things, right? Or things that come from something that's unclean. He's breaking a Nazarite vow here. He reaches in, digs out a bunch of honey and starts eating it. And, and it's like, guys, isn't this so typical of men? I mean, it's like we walk in the kitchen and the donut is in the trash, but it's sitting on top of a napkin in the trash. We're like, look around, like, still good. You know, I was like, this is the way we are. So, Because for some of us that are looking at, at him going, I can't believe he just reached into a dead carcass and pulled out honey and sardines. It's like, guys, we know better. Don't judge him, okay? But then, here's the funny part. He gets there and he goes, hey, mom, dad, you want some money? Like, yeah, son. Oh, this is good stuff. I'm just sitting there thinking. It reminds me of a little kid who found a jelly bean on the ground, picked it up, put it in his pocket, played with it, sweaty hands, dirty hands, and comes up to mom and he goes, would you like a jelly bean? Thanks, son. That was so good. It's like, is that grape? No, I don't know what it was. Oh, okay. You know, we have no clue. It's like, did they not know where this honey came from? They had no clue. This is like a lot of gross stuff going on, right? Well, as we go on, it says the dad made the final arrangements. Now they're going to throw a party. There's got to be like a bachelor party, right? And so the family, the bride's parents select 30 young men from the town to be the companions. It says in scripture that they, um, they had this drinking, they had a feast. And the translation is drinking feast. So this was a lot of alcohol. And again, he's breaking another vow. And even if he didn't drink, he's putting himself into a place he should not be, right? To tempt him with what he should not be doing. Maybe he did have some because he makes a, he gets a little cocky and a little arrogant. And he gets a little competitive and he goes, hey, I got a bet for you guys. I got a riddle. If you can figure out the riddle, I'll tell you what. I will give you 30 clothes because there was 30 men. I'll give you 30 new coats, fine linen. But if you can't get the riddle, you're going to give me 30 clothes, 30 suits, 30 robes. Like, deal. Let's do it. So. Verse 13, 12, 13 goes on to talk about this. But here comes the riddle. And the riddle is this. Out of the one who eats something, came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. What is it? What is the riddle? They didn't know. They had no clue. They couldn't figure it out. So after three days, they threatened his wife. Now the, the wedding is seven days. You know, day three into this, they're like, oh, we can't figure this out. They, they not only um, come to Samson's wife asking her, they threaten her. We'll burn you and your family if you don't tell us the answer. Oh, now this is serious. So read on here, verse 16, Judges chapter 14. It says, Samson's wife came to him with tears and said, You don't love me. You hate me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. Samson's like, I haven't even given the answer to my mom and dad. Why should I tell you? Verse 17. So she cried whenever she was with him, and she kept it up for the rest of the celebration. Oh, isn't that fun? It's your wedding. Four days of your wife crying. Oh, this is fun, right? At last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because why? Look at it. She was tormenting him with her nagging. 
Not saying anything, women, but just understand, okay? Men don't like to be nagged, especially on a festive four-day, end of the seven days, and she's crying and nagging, and then she explained the riddle to the young men. So now the young men approach Sam's like, hey, uh, day seven's up. We know the answer to your riddle. The answer is, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? Oh, Samson gets upset. Gentlemen, this is for you. Please listen very carefully. There's some things we can learn from Samson. This is one. Never say this about your wife. He goes this. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. I can't even say that without chuckling. I'm thinking, Samson, what are you saying? Plow with my heifer? Okay, this, just don't go there, right? A couple of things we can say about that, but we're moving on. Anyway, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson. He gets mad. He goes into another town nearby and whips 30 men. He doesn't just whip them. He kills 30 men. This guy's got an anger issue, doesn't he? He takes the clothes, as promised, comes back to the town, gives them to the 30 men, and goes home. He's mad at his wife. He doesn't want to talk to her. Goes home with mom and dad. Well, the father of the bride is like, he's gone. Tradition says my daughter needs to be married. Hey, best man, looks like you're it. So now he gives his wife off to the best man. Samson sort of cools down, right? And the the amazing thing is, what we're learning about Samson so far is he's pretty self-destructive, isn't he? I I mean, he's emotionally driven, not spirit-led. And that's a huge thing to understand. You know, we think, we think emotion, women are emotional, right? Men aren't answering that. Good job, men, okay? But so are men. We can get emotional too. We just display our emotions differently. Women, when you get highly emotional, what do you want? You want to go talk to people, right? We've got to talk it out. We're going to figure this one out. You're going to talk, right? Men, what do we do? We get angry. I mean, that's one of our worst things. We, we handle our emotions differently. We... Walking through the room, you stub your toe. Ladies, what do you do? You sit down and you nurse your toe and you, you're like, oh, you know, and you do that. Men, what do we do? Stupid chair. And we kick the chair again with our toe that we just stubbed or we punch something, right? That's why I never give a man a baseball bat or a hockey stick when he's angry, okay? Something will break. It's just the way it is. We handle our emotions differently. We are emotionally different, aren't we? Samson is showing us and like, wow, you got an anger issue, right? He comes back to town to get his bride, finds out that she's been given to the best man. Oh, and there he goes again. He catches, this, this is incredible, he catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together in pairs, puts a torch between their tails, lights them, and sends them off. 150 pairs of foxes now running through the Philistines' fields, torching and scorching everything. And we're like... I mean, I'm sure he had a good time going on the bench. <laughs> that place is on fire. It literally was. Okay. And, and the rest of the Philistines are like, this is, he's in trouble now. Okay. So what they do now, they get so mad. They go back. They take Samson's former bride and the family and they burn them alive and their house. Oh, no, that gets Samson upset again. And so he goes down and he's decide he's going to go kill a bunch of Philistines. And then he goes and hides in a cave. Philistines retaliate by getting up and they go to Judah and they demand for Samson to surrender. 3,000 men of Judah 
not 30, not 300, 3,000 men of Judah, like, we'll go take care of this. So 3,000 men go to this cave to find Samson. And like, uh, Samson, we need to turn you into the Philistines because they're angry about what you did to their fields and all that, right? Samson surrenders. So, okay. They tie him up. They take him off to Lehi. Philistines come out shouting in triumph. And then the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson again. He busts out of the ropes, grabs the jawbone of a donkey, and just starts swinging. And he kills 1,000 Philistines. And you wonder why I've never preached on this. As a matter of fact, I'm sitting there. I, I keep every message I've ever preached on. So the past 16 years, I went back on my computer, like just hitting the sermons, hit search. Because sometimes I'm like, did I? You get older, you do this. Like, I think I repeated myself. I think I said that last week, right? So sometimes I'll like put in a thing and then I'll do a search. Like, oh, no, that was 2010 when I preached that. Okay, I can mention that again. I couldn't find Samson anywhere in my computers. Anyway, I, I've never preached a whole sermon on Samson. And now I know why. Look at this guy. I mean, what are we going to learn out of this? I mean, so much anger and rage, and, and there's never any good results, and it's just like negative and violence and so much. And it's like, ah. Uh, and it, here's the thing. It was his fault. Really, everything that he did was a result of his own anger. Emotionally driven, not spirit-led. That's what God asked us to do. He wants us to be led by the Spirit of God, not by our emotions. Emotions are out there. Emotions are, you know, I don't, I don't want to say sometimes like, well, that's a, that's a sinful emotion. Emotions are emotions. It's what we do with our emotions that turn to sin, right? And God wants us to be led, not by our emotions, but by our, by this, by his spirit, which he gave to us when we give our life to Christ, right? Well, then he gets a little cocky. He goes on to say, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. Way to pat yourself on the back there, Samson. I mean, this guy is obviously strong. But here's the thing. If, if the one man can take a bone and kill a thousand people, it's not about you. It's about what happened in you. And it was the Spirit of God that came upon him. And he was taking all the claim for what God gave him. See, what God gave Samson, like God gave all these other judges different skills, God gave Samson strength. God blessed him with strength. God wants us to use his gifts for his glory, not our glory. God gives us these strengths so that we can bless others. If God's given you a skill, a gift, if he's given you finances, if he's given you, I don't know, things that you can share with others, guess why he's given that to you? So you can share it with others. You can bless others. God blesses us so we can bless others. God gives us so we can give to others. Whatever your talent, whatever your gift is, his was strength, and he was not using it for God. Judges chapter 16, he's struggling with lust, ungodly relationships again. Eventually falls in love with a young woman named Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her, and they said, Entice Samson. Find out where his strength comes from. Nobody could figure it out. We have to overpower him. We have to tie him up. We have to get rid of him. And they said, if you do this, each of us, all of us rulers here, we'll each of you give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. For money, she turns in her husband. Right? She asked Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong. I mean, you know, the kind of thing that if somebody were to tie you up and secure you, you couldn't bust this. Well, how do you do that, right? I don't know. No idea how she was asking these questions and him not get it. 
But he said, well, if you do this, she tried it. Nope. Try this. Nope. Try this. Nope. He lied to her three times just messing with her, right? Verse 15 of chapter 16 says this. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you strong. Verse 16 says, she tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as someone else. Verse 19, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head on her lap. And while he was sleeping, she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. His strength left him. And when he woke up, he thought he could fight his way free, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Hmm. He had broken his earlier Nazarite vows, and now the third one, the Philistines captured him. They gouged his eyes out. They bound him up. Now he's blind, he's bound, and he is enslaved to his enemies. Took him to Gaza. Bronze change. Forced to grind the grain in the prison cell. Verse 22 says, but before long, his hair began to grow back. Somebody in the jail forgot to give him a haircut. Verse 25 or 23 says, the Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices, praising their god, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. And they party, they're half drunk, and they had all these people in there, and they're like, yeah, bring him in, bring Samson in, let's make fun of him. Blinded, he has a little boy lead him out, right? Verse 27, the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there. There were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Again, biblically, a lot of times they only counted the men. They didn't count the women. Some authors believe that there might have been up to 8,000 people in this building. We, have, we know there's three for sure, 3,000 for sure, plus all the women. It says, then Samson prayed to the Lord. Let me, let me pause. Shamgar got one verse. Remember him last week? Like, uh, yeah. Guy looked pretty ripped. One verse, okay. Samson gets like four chapters. Through those four chapters, anybody remember Samson praying? No. Always angry. Always beating people up. Joking, goofing around. God set him apart, but he kept going back to the world. He finally prays. Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. And pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die at the Philistines. The temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers, all the people. He killed more people when he died than he did during his entire lifetime. He terminated an evil, idolatrous group of people, the enemies of God. And again, it sounds messy. It really does. What a, what a tragedy when we look at the life of Samson. God had gifted him, and yet he, he was set apart, but yet he chose to just sort of go with the world. The greatest victory he had was not until he was finally broken and humiliated and blind. Go back to a point in the story, and you think about, well, the power, right? The power came from his hair. 
let's remember this. That was a symbol of his power. And when he chose to be like the rest of the world, God's like, I'm I'm just going to take my spirit away from you. See, when we confess our sins to a holy God, he gives us his Holy Spirit. The same spirit that was probably in Samson, God gives us his very own spirit. But when we walk away from God and we just sort of peruse and hang out with the world, don't be surprised what you will struggle with. Think about this with yourself. Think about this with your kids. And ask yourself these questions. Are we dedicated to God Are we committed to growing up and learning more about him? Have we committed our lives to him? And as we get older, are we staying strong in our choices to go in the direction that God's called us? Because I see it, you know, GPS, the kids are you know, pretty excited about coming and learning about God. But as they get older in middle school and high school, eh, a little less excited about it. And then they go to college, less and less kids sort of drop out on the old church thing. And, and it's like, I'm going to do what I want to do in college and sow my oats and all those kind of famous things that we said and my parents said to me, right? And then, you know, you sort of get to young adulthood and it isn't to like, oh, I got kids, maybe I should go back to church. All those years of that falling away... He's no different than Samson. Suddenly we're defeated, blinded, and bound. And and we're like, why? Because we were operating outside the power of God. You step outside the vow, you step outside the power of God, what do we expect? Samson had a vow, and as long as he stayed within the vow, he was strong. But when he stepped outside the vow, he was weak. Our commitment... Our dedication to God should be priority number one. Choose this day. Life or death. Blessings or cursings is what God told his people, right? Samson was a legendary tragedy, breaking all three parts of the vow. So he could be like the world, right? He was called to be separate from the world, but he looked just like everybody else. We are called to be separate from the world. We are called what? God's holy people. Holy means set apart. And because we choose to be set apart, yes, you will be different. You might be mocked. You might be made fun of. But you're going to be blessed for it. Some of us are like, can God just bless me now? Because it's been rough. I don't know when God's going to give his blessings upon you for being separate from this world. But I know his promises never fail. They all come through. We discover that whenever needed, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson whenever it was needed. And the amazing thing is that we have that same Spirit. And I believe God's Spirit falls upon us whenever we need it. But we got to stay committed to Him. we got to stay committed to Him. God is looking, I believe, upon this earth, saying, Who? Who's going to remain committed to me? Who's going to serve me? Who's going to work for me? This past Wednesday night, every Wednesday I drive into Toledo, go pick up the bread at Panera. We serve it at our, our pantry on Thursday, and then we have more we take over to the school for the food program for the kids. A lot of people get fed with those leftovers. So I pulled in uh, Wednesday night at 9.30, and uh, the cones were blocking the drive through and I'm going, uh-oh, no drive through tonight. I wonder what's going on. And then my mind starts moving because... They're, sometimes they'll change our closing hours from 9 to 10, and I don't know until I show up. 
and it's 10 o'clock now, so it's 9.30. I'm going, did they close at 9 again? So I pull around. There's nobody parked out front. I'm going, uh-oh, but the lights are on. Okay, so I get out of my car. I go up. One door's locked. There's a sign on. The other door's open. I look on the sign, and it says, dining room and drive through are closed. Sorry, we don't have enough workers. I go inside, and I ask, the, you know, I said, I'm here for donations, and there's one person in there, and they had everything already boxed up. And I was... Curious, I said, this has happened multiple times now. I said, you just can't find enough workers? No. Everybody enjoys their unemployment more than they enjoy working. And it's like our world is looking for people to work. And they don't want to. And then it took me to a verse. Ezekiel chapter 22, 30 says this. God said, I look for someone who might rebuild the walls of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall. So I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. God was looking for somebody that would work for him. God was looking for somebody to stand in the gap, but he couldn't find anyone. And that reminded me of that night. It's like, we need somebody to work, but nobody wants to work. And God says, spiritually, I'm looking for somebody who's going to stand separate from this world. Will it be you? I believe today God is looking to see whether or not we'll stand. Men... There's an absence of fatherhood going on right now. Masculinity has been defined as somebody who can fight, somebody who can win bets, give the beautiful girl whatever. That's a false narrative. That's not true masculinity. We need men to stand up and be good fathers and good husbands, good leaders. And women the same. We need women of God as well. Seems like we have all this great potential, but we just can't make those choices. Just as Samson was, was physically strong, but weak in the will, sometimes so are we. So we need to remember that God's spirit resides in us, and he wants us to stand strong for him. Worship team, would you come forward, please? In the beginning of chapter 16, we, said, we read, Samson then served for 20 years. Think about this. He served for 20 years as a good judge, and it's like, he got it. Finally, he got it. This was before he was imprisoned, okay? But then we read like in verse 4, I think it was. I can't remember which verse. But it says, then he went to the house of a prostitute. Samson. All these anger issues, these emotions. And then you, for 20 years, you become a great judge for God. And then you go to the house of a prostitute and you just sort of blow it all, Right? And I saw this somewhere, and so I figured it out, that it was a 25-mile trip to that town. So I calculated, I want to Google calculate uh, somebody my height to walk 25 miles, how many steps would it take? Multiply that by 25. So the number that I came up with was 53,250 steps is what Samson took if he's six foot tall. Okay? So for 53,250 steps, every step he took, he could have chosen to stop walking in the wrong direction. But every step he took was one more step in the wrong direction. He could have turned and gone back, but he did not. Every day we have that choice to take the step in the right direction. And the good news is when we do take steps in the wrong direction, God forgives and he helps us get turned back around and start going back in the right direction. But it begins with one step. One step. Would you stand, please? I want to encourage you, church. We've got a lot of spirit-filled people in here. Walk in the right direction. 
Don't settle for the way the world is going. God's got a better plan for you. I believe that. But you've got to listen to him. You get to choose death or life, blessings or curses. It's your choice. But I encourage you, walk in the right direction. It just starts with one step. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for this moment we've had to look into your word and to learn from somebody like Samson. He wasn't perfect. Boy, did he mess up. But God, you chose him and you loved him. And some of us think that our lives are pretty messed up. But yet, when I look at that, it doesn't matter how bad our lives are. You still forgive us when we surrender our lives to you. And we seek forgiveness. You forgive. And you give us your spirit. And you help us walk in the right direction. So God, right now, if there's somebody in this room that's walking in the wrong direction, help us to stop right where we're at. To turn, to repent, to come back to you and walk in the right direction. And for those of us that are trying to stand, help us to keep standing for you. Help us to stay strong for you. God, help us to be spirit-led, not emotionally driven. Lord, we love you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, so we can live for you. We love you, Lord. In our name we pray. Amen.